0: Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, your Ophthalmology OCAPS and Board Review podcast. I'm your host, Ben Young. This week, Andrew couldn't make it for the recording, so we bring back our guest host, Amanda Redfern. Thanks, Amanda.
1: Thank you, Ben. Remember, this podcast is for medical education purposes only and not to diagnose that weird thing on your eye.
0: We're ophthalmology residents who figure that reviewing for clinic, OCAPS, or the boards is better when you don't have to do it alone. Each week, we review a high yield topic and talk about the why and the how. So this week, we are talking about let's say let's say i like unison. One, two, three. A typical optic, optic neuritis. neuritis. Okay. So Amanda, what's just a review if people didn't listen to last week's episode, but I I would if I were you. What is optic neuritis?
1: Optic neuritis is inflammation of the optic nerve, as the name suggests. It's typically associated with MS or development of MS later after the episode of optic neuritis. And Ben, typical signs?
0: Those are moderately decreased vision, pain with eye movements, decreased color vision, and visual field changes. And on exam, there should be a relative afferent pupillary defect. Do they have optic nerve swelling typically?
1: Well, about a third of the cases will have some mild disc swelling. That's optic nerve head swelling. But that means the majority of cases you don't see anything on the optic nerve exam.
0: So that all brings us to atypical optic neuritis. It's important to know what atypical optic neuritis is because you don't want to misdiagnose something that could be more dangerous or could have a very different disease course than the typical optic neuritis we talked about last episode. So Amanda, what are some things that define atypical optic neuritis?
1: Severe optic disc edema, disc or retinal hemorrhages, retinal macular exudates, Vision reduced to light perception. Are you going to help me out at all, Ben?
0: What? (laughs) If they have persistent vision loss that doesn't improve, if the optic neuropathy is highly steroid responsive, remember typical optic neuropathy shouldn't be rapidly responsive. It should just reduce the duration of the symptoms. The absence of pain. So if they don't have any pain, unusual, or the persistence of pain beyond the normal course of optic neuritis. Other associated inflammation within the eye, uveitis, choroiditis, parsplanitis, or bilateral vision loss. So basically, if it looks really bad or if any other part of the eye is involved or if they don't recover like you'd expect them to or if they recover too quickly with steroids or if it's bilateral.
1: That's a pretty good summary there. easy
0: to remember, I don't know. So
1: the differential diagnosis is actually kind of long for atypical optic neuritis. It includes vascular causes like NAION, metabolic causes like Libre's hereditary optic neuropathy, inflammatory causes, sarcoid lupus vasculitis, and as well as infectious causes, Lyme, syphilis, Bartonella, and neoplastic causes, whether that's a perineoplastic syndrome or infiltration of the optic nerve.
0: Thanks, Amanda, for listing that in order of that vitamin C mnemonic that I think a lot of us use to help remember things in the system-based um, order. We're going to go over more of these different diagnoses, but I think the important thing is to really know what Defines atypical optic neuritis because if you see an atypical feature, then you'll initiate the worker for all these different things. You can look them up, and we'll talk about how to work them up. But if you've matched all the typical features, and you don't have to worry too much about all these other causes.
1: But let's go through the list one by one. So, let's say you're seeing a patient who has this painless decreased vision with maybe some optic nerve swelling. You can be thinking about NAION or lebers.
0: Lieber's optic neuropathy is a mitochondrial optic neuropathy that usually causes acute vision loss in one eye, then followed by the other eye later.
1: If they have persistent pain, then you can think of optic perineuritis,
0: which is inflammation of the sheath around the nerve as opposed to the inflammation of the nerve itself. We'll go into more detail about that later.
1: If it's bilateral, then you can think about things like NMO perineoplastic syndromes, again, Leber's, or sarcoidosis, or vasculitis. What about relapsing or very corticosteroid responsive then?
0: So if it's relapsing or, or very steroid responsive, then it could be sarcoid, which we know is steroid responsive systemically as well. NMO, which we'll talk about a bit more, which is neuromyelitis optica, and a disease called cryon, which is just defined as a chronic relapsing inflammatory optic neuropathy. C-R-I-O-N.
1: We'll talk about that a little bit more later too.
0: Mm-hmm. What about if they don't respond to steroids?
1: If they don't respond to steroids, you got to be worried about things like compressive optic neuropathy or infiltration or an infection or, yeah, definitely an infection if you give them steroids and it's really <laughs> going the wrong direction, but also a perineoplastic.
0: Right, so the non basically all the non-inflammatory causes. Right. And if they have macular exudates or macular swelling, then that you can think about that as a neuroretinitis, which is what it sounds like. There's the neuro is involved, the nerve, and the retina is involved. Retinitis. The difference for that is sarcoid, syphilis, bartonella, and also keep in mind that malignant hypertension give you optic nerve swelling and macular exudates too. So keep that in mind in the back of your head as we talk about in the ocular syphilis episode.
1: And because this is a very important point, always consider infection whenever you're thinking atypical. I know we just listed off some other things that might lead you other ways, but always at least for a moment's pause and think could this be an infection? Because you may be treating someone with high doses of steroids and things can go really, get really bad really fast if you're not at least considering the possibility. Right.
0: But again, if you just remember those atypical features you talked about before, then it can help keep you out of trouble for these problems.
1: So the testing that you're going to do is going to be based on your differential that we just talked about that is based on the symptoms that they're presenting with. Things that you can test for in the serum would be ACE for sarcoid, Lyme if you're in an endemic area. I know here in Connecticut, we're right next to Lyme, Connecticut and all other sources of tick bites. But where I'm actually from in Oregon, that's like just never seen so... Think about that. Um, syphilis testing. You can also get anti-aquaporin four, which relates to NMO, and we'll talk about that a little later. You could get Bartonella testing if there's that macular star, like Ben was talking about, and the whole neuroretinitis picture. Other things you can get, of course, would be ESR, CRP, ANCA for inflammatory, and possibly an SPEP. But a big thing that you're going to get, pretty much no matter what, is the MRI brain and orbits with and without contrast, and if nmo or neuromyelitis optica is on the differential you should definitely get an mri cervical and thoracic spine
0: so we've been talking a bit about this nmo or neuromyelitis optica what what that amanda
1: neuromyelitis optica or nmo from now on in this podcast <laughs> is a severe demyelinating disease that preferentially targets the optic nerves and spinal cord though it may also affect you know the brain These people present with atypical optic neuritis, closely preceded or followed by paraparesis or paraplegia.
0: How it's atypical is in NMO, the vision loss is bilateral, unlike optic neuritis where it's unilateral, and it's very severe. It's usually worse than 2200 vision, unlike in typical optic neuritis where the vision loss is almost never worse than 2200, almost.
1: Like 97% of the time. Yeah.
0: So okay so to, so to summarize the clinical features of neuromyelitis optica is an atypical optic neuritis because of how severe the vision loss is and its bilaterality and it's also accompanied by paraparesis or paraplegia because the spinal cord is also affected.
1: So to diagnose NMO you need at least one of the core clinical features which would be things like optic neuritis, acute myelitis, area postrema syndrome, which Ben can tell you about.
0: It is a it's a syndrome causing persistent vomiting and or hiccups.
1: Other core clinical features would be an acute brainstem syndrome or lesions in the brainstem causing acute symptoms or typical brain lesions of NMO, which I won't get into the details of because let's pass the scope of this.
0: Yeah, you can listen to that on our other podcast, Brain for Ears, where we talk about neurology.
1: <laughs> that's coming in twenty fifty.
0: Yeah, exactly. When we do our neurology residencies.
1: So uh, at least one of those core clinical features, plus a positive test for aquaporin for IgG.
0: And that's the, you know, that's the key um, lab test to remember for, if you suspect, uh, neuromyelized optica, which I don't know if we mentioned, is also called the Vicks disease. Did we mention that? It's also called the Vicks disease. So if you hear about DeVIX, it's synonymous with NMO. So to summarize all of that, they have to have one core clinical feature, which Amanda just mentioned, the and a positive aquaporin-4 or an IgG.
1: Now, this test is actually only 76% sensitive, but it is 94% specific. The question is, when do you test for it? Because obviously, we're trying to practice consciously and order tests as appropriate. So if someone presents with profound vision loss or irreversible vision loss, no improvement after a month, bilateral optic neuritis, recurrent optic neuritis, or extensive enhancement of the optic nerve on MRI, you should consider getting that aquaporin-4 IgG test. Yeah.
0: So again, you, you know, this is what we're talking a lot, but if you remember the atypical features of optic neuritis, then you'll be able to look into this once you realize that something atypical is going on.
1: The reason why this is so important to promptly diagnose is because you want to prevent further complications from this disease. As we said earlier, the timeline for the optic neuritis and myelitis is pretty closely related to one another. So if you see someone with optic neuritis who hasn't had myelitis yet, you should be concerned that the myelitis might happen pretty soon. And you want them on steroids as fast as you can to help prevent the morbidity that will come with that.
0: What's the treatment for NMO, Amanda?
1: Well, high-dose steroids... Uh, for the acute episode. And then if poorly responsive, there are some other things that you can do like plasmapheresis, intravenous immunoglobulin, and that's all in addition to high-dose steroids. Long-term, you can put them on immunosuppression with things like azathioprine or rituximab.
0: Okay, so that's NMO in a nutshell. We mentioned before there's a disease cryon. That's another one that's kind of an oddball to know about. Again, it stands for chronic relapsing inflammatory optic neuropathy. What are what are some key things to know about it, Amanda?
1: It's an isolated inflammatory optic neuritis that is very steroid responsive and steroid dependent. So it can actually be very hard to wean these people off of the steroids because their um, inflammatory optic neuropathy may come right back, and they'll be right back in your office. It requires long-term corticoids, corticosteroid therapy, then just to get them stabilized, and eventually transition them to immunosuppressive therapy to keep them on some maintenance because no one wants to be on steroids forever, except for maybe some bodybuilders.
0: Is that how that works?
1: No, okay. yeah. <laughs> wrong steroids. Yeah, you know they, they
0: accuse. did you hear they accused Venus Williams, um, the tennis player, of like perform, using performance-enhancing drugs. Because she was using, like, prednisone for her lupus. They were arguing that prednisone was performance-enhancing.
1: You know, if she has lupus, maybe she shouldn't be out in the sun so much. Because that can actually cause acute uh, kidney failure.
0: Yeah, tell that to her eight major titles. I'm
1: just saying.
0: That she, uh, yeah. (laughs) I think that... Mm, Is it
1: worth renal failure? I
0: think the Wimbledon Trophy is 100%. Okay, that's just my personal opinion. So, okay. I guess the last thing to talk Everybody
1: about, has their hobbies in residency. Ben's is tennis.
0: Yeah, I don't play that much. I'm a He's old...
1: accepting challenges, by the way. Yeah. If... tweet if you would like to challenge. <laughs> yeah, come at me, bro, and <laughs> attack
0: my weak as hell backhand. Yeah. Okay, and the the last, you know, cause of atypical optic neuritis we want to mention in this episode is optic perineuritis. What does that mean? What's perineuritis?
1: That's inflammation of the optic nerve sheath. And it presents pretty similar to optic neuritis with the painful vision loss, and it has a female predilection. But Ben, how is it different from optic neuritis?
0: So one major way it's different is they have uh, peripheral vision loss as opposed to central. And that should make sense because the inflammation is on the peripheral part of the optic nerve. It's on the optic nerve sheath as opposed to the optic nerve itself. So, um, yeah, so they get this peripheral vision loss. These patients also can tend to be somewhat older, um, and their vision loss tends to be milder because, again, it's just the outside of the optic nerve that's affected, so it can take progress over several weeks. And finally, whereas in optic neuritis, the pain will eventually go away, like even if you don't treat them at all, eventually the pain will go away, and and perineuritis, the pain will tend to stick around until you actually treat them with steroids.
1: On MRI, you'll see enhancement of the optic nerve sheath rather than the optic nerve itself. This could look similar to an optic nerve sheath meningioma. What's going to help you differentiate is that the meningioma is not going to be painful, whereas the optic perineuritis is.
0: And, you know, just one other feature that's different is optic perineuritis is not associated with MS. So, the, and how do we treat this? How do we get rid of it?
1: Steroids. Steroids are your friend in this episode. <laughs> um, they are very responsive to steroids. And they may relapse if it's tapered too quickly, so.
0: Yeah, so, you know, obviously we mentioned many other causes that can mimic optic neuritis or can be defined as an atypical optic neuritis. We won't go into them all. We'll eventually cover them in other episodes, including things about ischemic opt- optic neuropathies and Leber's hereditary optic neuropathy. Yeah, you're going to do that. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Amanda's going to write the episode. I just volunteered. I just volunteered volunteer to do it, so. Okay, volunteered her for it. You just volunteered tri- me as tribute. As, yeah, I volunteered as tribute. So to review atypical optic neuritis, these, the features that make optic neuritis atypical include severe optic disc edema or severe vision loss, retinal or other ocular involvement, including uveitis, persistent vision loss, or high responsiveness to steroids, or, or worsening uh, with steroids. We also reviewed neuromyelitis optica, NMO, which is an atypical bilateral severe optic neuritis with, with spinal cord involvement leading to paraparesis or paraplegia. The key um, serum testing is aquaporin four IgG. And we talked about CRYON, chronic relapsing inflammatory optic neuropathy, which is a very steroid dependent version of optic neuritis. And then finally, we talked about optic perineuritis which is inflammation around the optic nerve sheath, so it will lead to peripheral vision loss, persistent pain until you tr- until it's treated, and is also responsive to steroids. And that's all we have for this week about atypical optic neuritis. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at eyes4ears with a number four.
1: It also helps to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts.
0: And Andrew started our Instagram, so you can follow that also at eyes4ears with a number four. And finally, we have a website, eyes for ears with the word for spelled out. Uh, we need a marketing team. And there you can find flashcards, help review the, the things you learn in these episodes instantly. One more note, if you like the podcast and want to help support us, then it'd be really helpful if you can help answer the survey that we uh, sent out last week. You can find it on our Twitter, where there's a link to the survey, also in the episode description below.
1: And you can always tweet us if you want to challenge Ben to a game of tennis. I'm
0: not keeping that in the episode. Can't wait to see you guys next week. Thanks for your time. Bye.
1: Bye.